Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Congdon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Congdon. Friends, welcome to episode 18 of the Lisa Congdon Sessions and the first episode of 2022. I am so thrilled to share today my interview with artist Kyle Steed. Kyle's beautiful abstract paintings and drawings are made with a vivid palette. His shapes lean into familiar territory, but as he says, keep any direct representation at arm's length. Driven by boredom, Kyle began making art at the age of five, and recently he made a book for kids about the magic of boredom inspired by his own experience. Kyle and I share the perspective that boredom and monotony can be profound gifts, not just for children, but for every living, breathing human. And in this episode, we talk about what moments of boredom can offer us creatively. When he's not painting, Kyle stays busy raising two girls with his wife, Amanda, at their home in Dallas, Texas. Alongside his creative endeavors, he enjoys practicing meditation and yoga and learning how to integrate the power of boredom into his life and work. Let's welcome Kyle Steed to the show. Kyle, it's so great to have you on the Lisa Congdon Sessions today. Thank you for being here. 100%. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So today we're going to talk about boredom, which is ironically one of my favorite topics. So the first thing I'm interested in knowing, you know, you wrote this book, a kid's book about boredom. How did you come to write this book? It's part of a kid's book about series. So tell us more about that. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. I first got introduced to Giovanni, who had started this company, a kid's book about, which I think now they've kind of positioned themselves as a kid's co where they're branching out, doing podcasts, doing doing other ventures with it, which I think is wonderful. And so we just kind of struck up a conversation. And, you know, having two girls of my own now, being a father, I just think it's so important. And, I, and we always loved reading to our girls. But, you know, the conversation really started around, would I do a book more on something maybe like meditative or maybe a book on loneliness? which I I think is a big, important topic to talk to about kids. But the more that we kind of went down this road and we're having multiple conversations, we liked this topic about boredom because for me, and I think for anyone else that's maybe just alive, (laughs) boredom is something that we've all have a relationship with. And I know for me personally, that was one of the worst feelings to feel as a kid and, and kind of have this like helpless weight hanging around my neck that's boredom. I mean, what do you do with it? What do you, yeah, it's just kind of frustrating. So I thought that was an interesting space to dive into and look at, you know, a little more closely and kind of get personal with it. So it's really the story that I've kind of feel is born out where my story begins ultimately, because it was in those spaces of boredom as a child that put me in places in my bedroom or wherever I was, where I was drawing. And so that was kind of like my, you know, the the book talks about that it's in this space where you don't have anything to do. So what do you do? 
And for me, that always came back to pencils and pens and paper and, you know, just, uh, yeah, just navigating like what's inside of me. What do I want to make? Cause for me, it's always about creating something like there's nothing more fulfilling than satisfying that part of me that just wants to make. And I think that really comes about from having time and space to not be filling every square inch of my life with something to do. Yeah, exactly. And I want to, I want to dive into that part of it in a little bit, but first, you know, you wrote this book for kids, but the ideas you put forth are also really important for adults, obviously. And like you, I believe that boredom is actually a creative gift. And one of the things that you say toward the beginning of the book is that being bored makes me a better artist. Mm. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's almost like a no brainer, like a duh, but <laughs> I think that's because I've I have these like built-in disciplines now and, and that's not always the case. So, you know, being a product of society, being a child of the eighties, I grew up with Nintendo. I grew up with TV and Saturday morning cartoons. I'm so thankful that I know a life pre-internet though, that I, I can remember what that feeling was like when, Oh, am I just going to go outside or, Oh, I could just like stay in and play Legos or just get into my imagination. And now it's hard, you know, 30 some odd years later with having two kids and really trying to structure time for boredom, time for imagination, because I think the two are almost synonymous that when we're bored, when we find ourselves with nothing to do, that is really a huge catalyst. It's a doorway. It's a threshold into a path of creativity, imagination, and coming up with things that can just be weird or wild or fun. And, you know, we just, you can't have that conversation with talking about the role and the impact that internet and social media have on our culture right now, because that's a glue to a lot of people's lives. And it takes up a lot of that free time that, that we could be having if we choose. It's like we're making choices, right? Time is a finite commodity that we have that's it. And so it's, it's all about what are we going to give our time to? Exactly. I, I read this article recently about boredom on bbc.com and I'll, I'll link back to it in the show notes, but this really struck me, this quote from the article in 1990, JK Rowling was taking a delayed train back to London alone after a weekend flat hunting in Manchester. When the image of a scrawny bespeckled young boy popped into her head, Quote, I didn't have a pen and was too shy to ask anyone for one on the train, which frustrated me at the time, she said in a 2016 interview. But when I look back, it was the best thing for me. It gave me the full four hours on the train to think up all the ideas for the book. And then the writer of the article goes on to say if she had had an iPad loaded with all 12 episodes of normal people or an endless Twitter feed to scroll through instead <laughs> of starting to, you know, of staring out the window, Harry Potter might have disappeared out of her mind as quickly as it had arrived. And I, I think that's basically what what we're talking about here is this fact. That's that right. In, in like when you and I were kids in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have access to distractions like these immediate access to stimulation and to like information and to something to, to take up our brain space. So we spent probably a lot more time being bored and then having to like make creative play than kids do today. 
Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's so good because the thing that I picked up on what you just shared, and that's awesome. I have I'd never heard that story about how she kind of conceptualized in the in the origin of her getting hit with the idea of, of Harry Potter, which huge Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <laughs> but there almost has to be this instinctual trust with yourself that if I have an idea now, and I mean I love like I have a journal right in front of me while we're talking, but sometimes it's not always meant to be captured in the moment. Like let it marinate, let it sit with it, like think on it, you know, just spend some time with it instead of like, oh, okay, I've got to like get all the points down. And, you know, sometimes ideas hit just in the most random of places. It could be in the bathroom. It could be right before you're closing your eyes to go to sleep. And sometimes in my life, I just have to trust that like, this is a wonderful idea. And I'm, I'm most certain that it's, it's not going to like, you know, just float away into the ether. Like it'll come back around or I'll get up in the morning and I, and then like, I'll still have it in mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But also to the point that if we just distract ourselves, we're like, oh, what's so-and-so doing? Because it's never just one thing. You you open your Twitter feed or you open Instagram with an intention, right? <laughs> and how many times is it like five, 10 minutes later and you're like, wait, I'm lost. What am I? Why, why did, did I, I pick my phone up? Exactly. That happens to me all the time. Like, I'll be like, oh, I need to email so-and-so back or, oh, you know, Cindy texted me three hours ago and I never wrote her back. And then I pick up my phone to text Cindy back. And then there's a notification or I just instantly and intuitively go to Instagram. And then three hours later, I still haven't texted Cindy back because, yes. you know, it's like distraction upon distraction upon distraction. Yes. But I I, love, can I circle back? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you asked a very pointed question about why does boredom make me a better artist? Yeah. And I think it's, I don't know that there's a simple answer, but the way that I would say it is that having boredom or giving myself room, creating space to be bored now is so important. It's so vitally important to my process because it allows the ideas to come out of the place that they come out of, which is this really ethereal kind of, like, how do you even begin to describe it? Like they just sometimes just come out of thin air, but also just to work through those things. And it's just very important to like have that. I'm trying to think of the word framework, uh, almost limitations, you know, with giving my time to say like, all right, I'm just going to set an hour. I'm going to put do not disturb on my phone and I'm just going to like get lost and whether I'm writing or whether I'm drawing, but it has to be that focused attention. And I don't think, I can't think of any other better place that that comes from than and now you could get, you could argue the point like, well, is that really being bored? Because right, exactly. It's like you're doing something. <laughs> right. Well, and I think but that I think like, it's kind of a paradox. It is. And I think that like kids in particular, and this book that you wrote is is for kids, but kids in particular are the ones that you hear say, I'm so bored, right? Like, mom, I'm bored, you know, like I don't know what to do. And so much of what happens, right? Like we receive all kinds of messages early on in life that daydreaming, for example, is a waste of time. And I feel like daydreaming is actually like what comes out of boredom often. And young people and in turn adults suppress their natural instincts to, to dream and imagine. And so instead we're told to fill up our time with all these purposeful activities, which in turn leads to boredom, right? It's kind of this vicious cycle. 
And I personally, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear your story, but my entire life changed when I began allowing myself to daydream. So this happened for me as the result of therapy and a therapist who gave me permission and also suggested to me that it would help me get where I really wanted to go in my life is if I, if I allowed myself to daydream. And there's this evidence, you know, research evidence that daydreaming and imagination and fantasy, all of which you promote in your book, are related to creativity and storytelling. And, and I think that's kind of like the essence of what makes us better artists is like taking time to let your mind wander. And as you mentioned, you know, we also know that our best ideas don't come from you know, sitting in front of a computer, they come to us during dull activities, right? Like taking a shower, or like That's right. being stuck on a long airplane flight where there's literally nothing else you can do. And I think it's like this mindset shift, right? Like the idea of treating those moments as gifts, and teaching kids about how boredom and mundane activities are gifts, because our minds get like free reign, as opposed to yeah. this is bad, and I need to do something to fill it. That's right. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad you said that. The labeling, the duality between good and bad that we're taught, that we're drilled in us from kindergarten, you know, and truly good. Like kids need structure. Kids need, kids need to know right from wrong, good and bad at up to a certain age. But once we become self-aware, once we become adults, it's so healthy to, to question that narrative and to question like, why do I hold on to these beliefs? And for me, a lot of my story starts in therapy too, about six years ago now, almost seven. And for me, it was a lot about regaining my curiosity. Mm. I had for so long kind of suppressed and, and stifled that part of me. And for me in my journey, continuing even today is, is to be curious with myself. A lot of it is doing the internal work. And questioning like why why do I hold on to this or, or what is it about this that's so special or what is it about this that's so hard and so it trans you know it, it goes across the planes of my life from personal relationships to my professional work but I will say this I think boredom is just a threshold I think like you said we can label it as like oh this is a bad feeling or boredom equals bad and for me I think it's a great space to open ourselves up to and then it's what we do once we walk through that. If we can accept that I feel bored, okay, I don't have to feel bad about that or I don't have to beat myself up. What can I do with this time? What kind of magical, mystical, wonderful thing could I could I teach myself piano? Could I paint a picture? Could I sing a song? Like you fill in the gap, like it's your life. Let's just not pick up our phone though. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Let's just not pick up our phone. Yeah. And there's powerful tools there, right? Like, I'm not saying like it's, the phone equals bad, right? Like, uh, there are wonderful ways to create digitally and people are doing it way beyond my speed. I'm just saying like, I have such a passion for the tangible nature of, of my work. And I think for life as it is, yeah, I just think that boredom being that I love thinking about it as like this doorway to something more. And it's, it's just, there's power on the other side of it once we go through that. Yeah. And that's such a mind shift to like what we have traditionally been, you know, conditioned to think. In your book, you, you write, like, these are some things that are, that you're suggesting. Lie down on the floor with your eyes closed and just think or feel or do nothing at all. 
or watch the cloud and see what shapes they make while you listen to the birds or pay attention to how the wind feels against your skin and hair and nothing else. And like, I was thinking like, I need to do those things, you know? I mean, those are great suggestions for children, but like this idea of doing nothing or or just sort of experiencing whatever environment you're in without physically doing anything is like just as important as using boredom as a catalyst for like making something. Both are great, but oftentimes the like figuring out what you're going to make or do in the time that you're bored requires this stillness that in, I think, today's society, especially like we have lost touch with just sort of sitting still and like, because we can fill the time with television or phone or just immediate gratification in other ways that my, you know, I have a friend who refers to that as like numbing, right? It's kind of like using food or alcohol or anything else to like, you know, keep us from feeling our own feelings. And so then we fear our emotions because we don't, we're so not in touch with them. And being bored means like feeling things potentially. And that is so frightening to us. Yeah. These things are substances. I mean, you think about, you know, uh, you mentioned the alcohol or drugs. I mean, these are substances, physical things that we can use to numb ourselves, but the same applies digitally, you know, in the ways that we kind of check out. We just almost become like our eyes glaze over and we're just like in this endless feed of, of consumption. And that's the same thing. I think that really boils down to like, we can either consume things in our bodies that, that make us feel differently, that numb us, but we can also consume things cognitively through our eyes into our brains that really just like take us out of our bodies that disconnect us really from present moment. And I love that you brought up stillness because I think, I mean, that's such a big part of practice to my life to slow down and to really be where I am. And what are some of the things that you do to ensure that you have adequate, whatever adequate means, but because I think for every person, it's going to feel different. But like, I think what most people understand on an intellectual level that they need more stillness and more Boredom's not necessarily, nobody would say, I need more boredom necessarily, although you, I think you might disagree with that. Yeah. But we need more like time where we're not doing anything on purpose or time when, you know, like you say in the book, not everything you do or make needs to have a purpose. And I think that like we're battling against information stimulation overload, but we're also battling this like Western culture notion that everything we do has to, you know, lead to something else. So how do you, or how have you in this journey that you've been on, like, how have you as an adult with a busy life and a family and all that, like, how do you make time for stillness? Oh, that's such a, that's a tall order. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the question. Yeah, it's very, it's real because, you know, becoming a new parent for the first time, my wife could be sitting right next to me and she would laugh you know, she, she made the decision to, to stay home with our, with our daughters when they were first born, which I'm eternally grateful for because it it freed me up to kind of keep my ball rolling with, with my work and my business and what I was doing. But we slowly started to integrate every Friday, I would take the girls. And at first I was like, Oh, this is hard. Like (laughs) my time is being sucked away from me. Like, what is this? This is not comfortable at all. 
And then I kind of started to get into that pattern. And I really loved, like, I could look forward to, okay, I can work four days. All right. Now I've, I've got time with my girls because that's, that's valuable time that one, they needed two I, I really needed. I don't have babies anymore. And I'm just kind of like still sitting with like the realization of that. <laughs> how old are, how old are your daughters? My oldest just turned eight right before Thanksgiving. And then my little one will be six next year. So it's like, they're in that weird area of, of coming out of like all the baby features are gone. And now they're like these just wonderful little balls of energy, these beautiful girls that they are. But you had to let go of like this idea that you had to work five days a week and be productive in order to like gain this day with your daughters, which at first you were like, uh, and then you re- you leaned into it and you realized like, this is actually really beautiful and magical. Not only am I connecting with my daughters, but like it's probably gave your your brain so much more like space to be creative and think of new ideas and things. Absolutely. And and my wife is, you know, huge credit for this because she loves planning. She, you know, she does her whole like month calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a therapist now, mm. but then it was like, she really helped integrate that into our family. Cause I'm kind of just like, yeah, I'll go with the flow. Like whatever, this sounds good. Or I don't really, that's not the way my brain functions, but it's been so helpful because then she was able to ask for the time that she needed. She was like, I need a weekend away. You take the girls. And so we've kind of been doing this now for, you know, seven, a little over seven years. Yeah. Eight years. And that's really helped me now. And as me personally, during my day to day to say, I need to take like an hour, you know, that's just for me, whether I, I walk three miles every day. I do that a lot in the morning before my girls get up, but trying to really just take time out of every day. That's not being productive. That's not for someone else. That's really purely just for my time. And I know everyone has different circumstances and that's something I'm very grateful for one for, to be able to succeed and, and what I do working for myself, but to have that time alone that I can take, you know, I know that if you're working nine to five, it's going to look totally different. If you're working two multiple jobs, it's going to look different. And it doesn't have to be 45 minutes or an hour. Like, can we take five minutes? Can we just breathe? And I think practices for me, you know, between meditating, moderately exercising, I don't want to make it seem like I'm this like Mm -hmm. super into fitness dude, but I do believe in eating healthy, taking care of myself, just small ways that we can show up for ourselves to love ourselves and try and give myself just that little bit of time every day. Mm -hmm. You you have these two daughters who are at that age where, you know, it's like creativity and like imagination really can be at its height, right? Like it, it also can be a time where kids are like, especially if you haven't fostered that in your children, they're sort of reliant on external things to like make them not bored or right. So one of my favorite parts of your book and like one of the favorite illustrations is this one page where there's like a do not disturb sign that's like that would be on like somebody's door handle to their bedroom or something that says yeah like a hanging tag yeah hang tag it says like yeah it says like do not disturb you know I'm bored or something like that and I just thought that was the cutest thing so I'm curious like also as a parent and this is probably relevant for not just people who are parents, but, you know, teachers or anybody who is around young people, even teenagers, like, 
how do you in your own sort of personal life create, you know, you just talked about how you create space for yourself, but how do you create space for your kids to, to be bored or to like have the opportunity to be bored? No, that's a great question. And it's hard. Like it really, because I have these values and because I believe so strongly, it still doesn't make it any easier. Like my girls still love to watch their Netflix or be on their tablets, you know? And so I feel like it's a, it's a fluid thing that we're constantly having to navigate right now. What's working for us is during the week when they're in school, they don't do tablet time Mm. and they, you know, so that means after school, like our oldest one has homework, but our little one, she can play, she can do her Legos, she can do her Barbie dolls, or she can go outside and play during the weekends. We, we relax a little more on that, but I also find it's important that children learn more by our actions, not by what we say. Right. So if I sit down and I start drawing nine times out of 10, that's a magnetic force for my girls because they want to see me and spend time with me that they're going to come around the table and be like, Ooh, I want to draw. Like I want to paint. And just to open yourself up to those opportunities, because when you do it for yourself, you're modeling that behavior for your children. And I think that's the most impactful thing for them to see. And and they come to the studio with me. Mm. And I let them paint with me, like Mm. get in there. Yeah. Like get your hands dirty. Like let's make a mess. And I think the more that we can take those chains off of our kids of being like, everything has to be so structured and protected and like, don't get dirty, blah, 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 blah. Like just let them be kids. That's so freeing because what it, it frees me up inside too, to be more playful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it goes back to the Picasso quote, right? And I think I'm constantly finding, looking, searching for ways to regain the little Kyle that's inside of me and nurture that part that wants to have fun when I'm creating. Yeah. Another line in your book that I love is doing nothing can be beautiful and powerful. And then there's, you know, then you say go so far as to make time to be bored. And that like, we manage to structure so much of our lives and our children's lives I don't have kids, but I have very close friends and siblings who have small children. And my sister has, or I guess they're not teenagers anymore, but young adults. And one of whom still lives at home. And, and this idea that like, you know, there's time for homework and there's time for this and there's time for this. But then once those things are done, that's when kids are like, I'm bored. And, you know, I think the response, even in ourselves, when we might feel bored is, ah, yes, that's great. Like, like, let's change the, the conversation about boredom. Oh, you're bored. How lucky for you that you're bored. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is great. And I, I tell so that I, to my daughters and they just look at me sideways. Yeah. Like, what are you talking you're about? You're full of it, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to talk about like on the adult side of this, for those of us who are creatives, I am kind of obsessed with this idea of monotony, which is like very related to boredom in the creative process. And like so much of our perception of what the creative process looks like from the outside or like how it's romanticized in our culture is that like you are in a flow where everything comes out of you easily, where 
you are That's hilarious. Like, yeah, right? It's funny. For those of us who do this as a living, we laugh, right? But the outside world kind of like sets these expectations on us that like we sit and we listen to classical music or NPR and we're just painting all day and like we are so productive and like th- we make things and, you know, right. the muses are there exactly when we need them to be there. But when in reality, like not only is that not true, but aspects of our practice are actually really boring. I interviewed this ceramics artist in my book, Find Your Artistic Voice. Her name is Ayumi Hori, and she talks a lot about monotony and the like mm-hmm. power of monotony in the creative process that it actually like forces her to be innovative because yeah. or to like lean into the monotony instead of fighting it, right? Like, let's say you're working on a piece of art where you have to make a lot of the same marks over and over and over and over, right? And like, that's that's the part that's monotonous and you just want to cut and paste and you can't, right? So, you know, leaning into that can be very powerful. So do you ever encounter that in your own creative practice where you're like bored or there's some sense of monotony that you're wanting to fight where you actually have to sort of let go and like, allow it to be boring girl you're preaching to the choir i mean come (laughs) on (laughs) are you kidding me yes like so i'll talk about it from perspective of like with my mural work i do everything by hand i brush everything i don't really use i never use aerosol i don't use rollers so i'm just there like the movement the hand you know it's constant and yes very monotonous the same repetition over and over and yes to go into that to embrace that and then to really like, I can't even define, know the other way to, to say it other than to like to be in my body, which is like, well, duh, you're, you're in your body, but not to wish I'm like, oh, I just got to get through this. Right. Or I wish this would go faster. Yeah. Right. Right. Because the thing I've noticed and the thing I've learned by experience is when I want to go faster, when I try to go faster, then I'm distracted. And then I make we can get into the, you know, debating whether or not there's mistakes in art. Thank you, Bob Ross. But it's like, I'm just not present with it. And I want to be when I'm making because it's, it's the gift that I'm giving back to the world. And so the more that I can just like, take my time with it, know that it's not going to be forever, or compare that to if I'm in the studio here, and, and I'm painting on a smaller scale, or if I'm designing something, you know, on the computer, it's like, I guess for me, it's like, I don't want to take the easy way. Mm. Not that I want to make my life harder or make things harder for myself, but there's almost like that dedication, that passion to make the work the best that I can make it. And for me, that means like everything that I'm putting into it, I want it to be intentional. I want it to have purpose. And, you know, I I want those, I want it to really come through. Mm. Yeah, it's like... It's a good question because... You, you touched on the point that not everything you make needs to have purpose. And I think where I was coming from, that was a little bit different from this perspective, but this, mm. is, this is really important as well. Yeah, I was thinking about like, I feel like every artist has, maybe not every artist, but I feel like there are some mediums that are particularly like monotony and potential boredom is inherent in the process. Like like Ayumi, her work is all ceramics and it's like kind of inherent in ceramics that you're making multiples of things, right? Like you make 25 mugs and then you're drawing the same designs on the outside of them. if They're all like individual and not mass produced. And there's something about that that is actually also very 
can be very relaxing if you lean into it, right? Like I used to draw in a sketchbook. I, I aspire to be the sketchbooker I once was eternally. Because for years before I got an iPad, I was like obsessed with drawing in the sketchbook. And a lot of what I made in there were these like very repetitive like patterns and drawings with ink. And I remember my niece, who is now quite prolific and talented artist in her own right, who's 22, she came to to stay with my wife and I when she was 12 or 13 one summer. And she would sit there and watch me draw. And at one point she said to me, Aunt Lisa, I am just like, everything you make is so detailed. I just don't know that I would ever have the patience, you know, to sit and draw for that long. And I said, well, maybe someday you'll, you know, maybe you'll just make work that isn't, that isn't like this. And ironically, within a few years, I think her attention span broadened as she got older. And now she is the one who sits and makes these very detailed drawings. And it's so interesting to me that like, to her, her perception of me doing that was like, I would be so bored, or I wouldn't have the patience to do that. And I said to her, look, this is actually really relaxing for me. It's like meditation. And oftentimes, when I post one of these very detailed drawings that I make, I'll say, yesterday's meditation or last night's meditation, because I am just sort of leaning into the monotony of it. That's it. And I feel like that can be a really beautiful experience as well. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we have to be able to be more open minded than like the cookie cutter shape of meditation is just you sitting on a mat on the floor with your eyes closed breathing. Right. Like you, I meditate. I mean, we all do it daily, but in that practice, like that's what you're touching on. It's absolutely right that these things that really bring us into our body that help teach us patience that help teach us just to be where we are that's all meditative right not i need to finish this or i need to rush through this because i need to get on to the next thing it's like i am in the moment right now and i think ultimately boredom while it has this very negative connotation if we took the negative filter off of it boredom is actually just really being in this kind of liminal space where we don't know what's happening next, or we are forced to wait in an environment before the next thing happens, right? And that space feels like too huge, right? In the moment, like, I don't know what to do. And I don't, you know, when all we need to do is just kind of be with ourselves, we don't actually need to do anything. And that boredom can be an opportunity to just close your eyes and daydream, which I think is super powerful, or to say, okay, well, if I want to actually do something right now, what is it that that I've been wanting to do that I could do now with pens and paper or my Legos or, you know, whatever. And I do think we've moved so far away from that. I, I mentor a lot of young artists in their 20s, mostly, some in their 30s, and I was mentoring this, or actually have been mentoring this young woman and one of the assignments I gave her was to go daydream like every day, or maybe it was like once a week, like literally allow yourself to lay on your bed and just fantasize about anything you want. And she literally struggled with that, like this idea that she could A, think in positive terms about 
something she wanted to make or something she wanted to do or how she imagined her life in five years that she could lay and that it wasn't a waste of time for her to sort of like lay there and just daydream about anything. And I want to be clear that when I talk about daydreaming, I'm I'm thinking about it in positive terms, like not laying there with your eyes closed, obsessing about how, you know, limited you are or what a bad person you are. I'm talking about the kind of daydreaming that we all resist, which is like happy daydreaming, which I was reading in in a couple of articles as I was preparing for this interview is actually like extremely positive and that we are conditioned that it is a waste of time. And this young woman in her 30s was like really struggling with this idea that she could lay there and just allow her mind to wander and have that sort of euphoric feeling that comes with that. And that was so hard for her. And I actually had to to learn that when I was in my 30s. And I, I think I mentioned that earlier. And like, what if we fostered that in everybody? You know, that it's okay. It's not a waste of time. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I would bring in the thing that's been powerful for me is getting curious and questioning who's saying it's a waste of time. Where does that voice come from? And we live in a capitalistic society that's hell-bent on productivity. So I think culturally, it's baked in from the beginning. Now, depending on how you're raised, you know, and what socioeconomic class you're raised, who's your family, what things are you feeling like you have to live up to, or what narratives are being spoken in your house, those are going to come through too. But that's right. Like boredom is in some way standing up in the face of productivity and saying, no, I don't have to be on all the time. I don't always have to be making and contributing because that's what makes me what a good person. Like we talk about productive members of society, right? And I think there's a balance here that we're missing that if we don't allow ourselves the space and the freedom and the love that we can give ourselves by daydreaming, by slowing down, by enjoying the monotony of life and leaning into that, like, we're just all going to burn out. (laughs) It's true. It's also like, um, I feel like relationships can suffer too. Like I actually this morning, my sister came over for coffee and we always have the best conversations and like, really, she's so great to talk to. And we really kind of dig into topics and a lot of them are personal topics, like, you know, people in our family and, you know, things like that. And we ended up talking about our relationship. And um, she admitted to me that she was like, doesn't call me to hang out because as often as she would like, because she's a, she knows how busy I am and that I'm always doing things. And I had been telling her earlier in our conversation that I was really working on making more time for doing nothing. And for like reserving time where I can just like go for a walk with my sister or, Mm. you know, hang out with my friends and that my relationships were suffering because of the amount of time that I spend working or in in my case, also riding my bike. I'm an avid cyclist, which by the way, sometimes gets very boring. Like riding your bike is actually really good practice at being bored because you're like going for miles and miles and miles and often you don't even have anyone to talk to. That's a whole whole different subject, but I, I feel like cycling has been my greatest boredom teacher. But anyway, so I'm spending all this time doing other things. And when you make time for boredom, you also open up time for potentially having conversations with people about random topics. And it's like not having an agenda, you know, is just like the best thing. 
I love it. And I was reminded Isn't this that morning. interesting? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was reminded of that this morning, like from my sister just being like, like, let's work on like making more downtime and then spending more of it together. I love that. Yeah. And that's so powerful. That's important. But I was going to know, I was just going to point out, isn't that interesting? Because I'll get the same feedback from people, from friends, acquaintances that are like, oh, I don't want to bother you. You're so busy. And I'm over here sitting like, I got nothing going on right now. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just in here. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's what's so, it's the double-edged sword because everything that's like we put out, and then people consume what we're putting out and they're like, oh, wow, they're like always doing something like look at them. And then you just start scrolling and you're just looking into someone's past history. And so you're like, how could I ever hang out with this person? Like they're doing X, Y, Z and they're over here and now they're doing this. But yeah. So kudos to you. I mean, for braving that conversation with your sister. It's it's interesting. Me and my brother have recently been connecting more in the last few months. Um, he's four years older than I and we haven't had historically a close relationship. So that's something that I'm also excited about now. I mean, and obviously like having a family, having these other responsibilities in life, like, yeah, I have like finite amount of time that, you know, that where I can spend if I'm going to grab coffee or go out to eat with a friend, but it's important to make space for that, you know, and to make time to do that. Yeah. And to even have a time with people where you're not going to a movie or you're not you're just spending time together, like taking a walk and kind of like even confronting the awkwardness of conversations that don't have a purpose. It's like, we want everything to have a purpose, right? We want everything to lead to something. And like, sometimes the most creative ideas or the best conversations you have with people that like light us up come from that space where we ne- we didn't have an agenda. Like we're getting together to talk about this or not that those conversations aren't great, but like spending time with human beings we love and not having an agenda about what we're going to do. Right. Cause I think even being bored with other people can be super interesting. And I love that you brought up solitude or loneliness earlier because I feel like When I was writing my book, Find Your Artistic Voice, I did a lot of research on creativity and what are like the, I don't know, kind of the most important aspects to creativity. And so this idea of daydreaming was definitely one of them, which I think is kind of not just tangentially related to boredom, but like directly related to boredom, but also solitude and one's ability to like be alone in one's thoughts, which is also related to boredom potentially. And you know, oftentimes we like fill our days with not just the internet, but like socializing, you know, or engaging with people in ways that aren't actually particularly meaningful, (laughs) that are just like a lot of small talk. So anyway, I just, I feel like this idea, and I've been working on this a lot in my own life, like making time for boredom, for like not knowing what's going to be next, like having open parts of my day where that are not planned and seeing where that takes me, having open time with people I love and not having an agenda for that either. Because I have spent so much of the last decade of my life, like everything having a purpose and everything having an end goal and feeling less and less satisfied with my life. Like, yes, I'm very productive. I make a lot of art. I sell a lot of art. I am, quote, successful, right? And yet there are parts of my 
creative experience and parts of the fuller part of my life that don't feel as full as they could because I'm working so much. And, yep. and I agree with you that it's like this part of like this um, capitalist culture that we live in that really values productivity and accomplishment over relationships and over doing nothing. And I love all of the movement this day toward like more of like that stillness of doing nothing, even though it still terrifies me to a certain extent. <laughs> and I think it should. I think that's healthy, though. I think that fear, it could be also, I mean, that's a whole other topic. Right? Well, it's, yeah, it's like, like you said earlier, it's like getting curious. Okay, what is this fear telling me? And like, keep peeling away layers of that onion. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the most powerful things I've heard in the last couple of years course i'm gonna forget her she wrote the book big magic oh yeah elizabeth gilbert thank you yes she has that i think it's in the beginning of the book where she's talking about is it fear maybe driving a car and she tells it to get in the back seat like (laughs) like you don't get to drive this like you can be here but i've used that analogy so much in life now like with any emotion you know whether it's fear whether it's anger whether it's envy whatever is coming up it's like oh yeah I see you, like, I see you starting to take the wheel, but actually like you can just sit in the back seat. Like, I don't have to judge you. I don't have to like pretend you're not here anymore. Right. I've pretended a long time, but certain things weren't there. I did want to go back with the, with the loneliness thing. And one of the greatest quotes, I think, I mean, believe what you will, Dr. Seuss wrote the book and I think of what's all the places you'll go or. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I had to pull it up. I didn't want to misquote. He says, whether you like it or not, alone is something you'll be quite a lot. And I just think that one line is so profound, especially in the context of reading it to children, because I grew up with a single mom. I, I really don't quite remember a lot of early childhood, whether or not my parents really set and read to me. But as I'm giving that gift to my daughters, I look at that and I'm like, they are on their own journey. Like they are their own people. and. I've had to learn that in my life that, yeah, being alone, that's the thing that will be most in this life because we're always with ourselves. We're never not us, right? Yeah. And so how, like, what do we do with that? And I think that kind of encapsulates this whole conversation, but it's powerful because loneliness can lead you into many dark places, but loneliness can also be a powerful tool, just like boredom can, that, that can bring us into in a much more open space. But, you know, we need people. Like We aren't meant to be lonely as we walk through our path and navigate this life. Like We need others there. And we also need solitude. So it's like, how do you balance that? You know, I feel like as a, you know, as a almost 54 year old adult, I am just like these big questions, like still stump me, you know, like, how do I make enough time for myself and enough time for other people and enough time for my creative process and enough time for my employees and my business and my partner and, 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 you know, all those things. It's like, you mentioned earlier, I think you've mentioned a lot in different ways, this idea that we will never arrive at this place where we have it all figured out, right? Like Mm. you wrote a book about boredom. You haven't figured it out. Like you're still like every day you're waking up and like figuring out how to be the best parent you can be and how to like, you know, be the best artist you can be and like how to include moments for, you know, for boredom in your life. And just because you wrote a book about it doesn't mean that you figured it out. And I feel like, (laughs) you know, I'm like this person who has a pretty 
prolific creative mind. Like I always have ideas for things I want to do. And I know that a lot of people struggle with that. And, you know, I've got like, at the same time, like I have, I have figured some stuff out. Like I'm just constantly waking up every day trying to figure out how to like manage like all the aspects of like who I am as a human being and, and all of the needs people have of me and all of the needs I have of other people. And like, I just, I know that that's, it's not like I'm going to wake up someday and be like, oh, I know, here's the answer. Like that is life is having all of those questions. Right. And like, instead of ignoring the questions, like being curious, as you said about them and like, I think that alone can be like very freeing is to just be like, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to get curious about it and let that be the answer is just to be curious and be open. Yeah. And I don't think any of this talk about boredom, about stillness, daydreaming is saying like negate your responsibilities in life. Yeah. If anything, it should be helping what you're responsible for, whether that's a family, whether that's a pet, whether that's just your own self and in your career or what have you. But like, I guess I, when I was younger, like the, the ways that I thought about the world is like, Oh, if I just like sit here, like, and I just like dream about it enough. And I just like hope all these things come true, you know, then somehow magically it's all just going to happen, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. You have to take responsibility. You have to take action. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it is like life is such a balance and, and we can't be on all the time. We can't be constantly producing. And even though like image that we want to portray ourselves to be like, we have to know like, okay, my meter is full. Like I have to dial this back. And I think, you know, like the pendulum swings of course in life. And sometimes we're giving or taking a lot more than, than we need to be, but that's it. I mean, that's, that's just life sometimes, but I think the ways that we can navigate and, and bring about maybe a little bit more of a healthy balance where we are creating, we are structuring our time. That's a, it's like, I'm going to be bored for an hour today. Like I'm going to put that sign on my door. and I'm going to say, don't bother me. I'm bored right now. I think that's actually really interesting because the new iOS update just for a brief second has this new focus feature. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, just like, it's not a plug for Apple or anything, but I think it could be a helpful tool because you can customize them. And like, I customized one that says chilling and one that says meditating. I'm actually going to do one later today that just says bored. So if anybody tries to get at me, call me, text me, like, and it'll notify him in a text. It's like Kyle has bored or like no notifications on or something. So I love that. Yeah. I'm like, let's utilize what we have. And let's just make it work for us because that's really us being in control instead of being controlled. Yes. Like there's a fine line there. And I think it's so easy just to get sucked and roped into technology and just be like, we're the blind following the blind. But I think if we wake up a little bit and we like look at our life and we daydream, right? We take time just to like stare at the sky, like close our eyes draw a hundred different lines, the same Mm. size and width. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like these things will really bring about like presence into our lives. Yeah. I was just going to say like the last thing in the book is I think really powerful. It says, so please go ahead, be bored and make mistakes. Mm. And I think that making mistakes part is, is really fundamental to part of my journey too, because I've failed 
every step of the way. I've done things that's just like, oh, let me try this. Oh, this doesn't work. All right, let me circle back and, and figure it out and keep going. Even in my marriage, like tomorrow's my 16th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, but it's it's hard work and it is a lot of failing and it, it is a lot of growing and, and letting go and, and being open to, to changing. And I think if you if you have, I have the I have this this piece of art that I made a couple of years ago that says every mistake is progress, and that was something that I learned in this idea that I used to beat myself up for every mistake that I made, and I would spend a lot of time feeling terrible inside. And when I took that perspective, it was like an epiphany for me, and I didn't really figure that out until much later in life. But when I figured that out, like, oh, actually, this is a gift. Because if I take this mistake seriously, or especially the kind of mistakes where I've like hurt another person, yes. I'm not talking about like, you know, getting an F on a test, you know, especially <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in school anymore. But like, I'm not talking about that, you know, or like, the mistakes where we where nobody else is harmed. I think the ones that we are most attached to are the ones where like we've hurt someone or we feel ashamed because it's been publicly noted that we made a mistake or we made a misjudgment that we shouldn't have made and we feel really bad about it. And so the good news, however, is like when those things happen, we can, we have the ability to learn from them and we have the ability to like make new choices in the future and mistakes are gifts, right? Like they're, they're opportunities to grow and change, as you said. And Beautifully said. I put them right up there with boredom. You're getting me to really like start thinking about boredom in a new way. And I really appreciate that. One quick plug for my daughter, Savannah. She was quoted in the, I think they put it on the school's Instagram or something, but it's something that we'd been teaching her at home is practice doesn't make perfect. Like, let's get rid of that narrative because perfection is an illusion. Perfection is so damaging. And to our own personal psyches, and I think to the greater cultural psyche, And so what we've always taught her is practice makes progress, but it's the same thing that you're speaking about with mistakes. Like when we practice, we will make mistakes. Like it's just part of it. And so the fact that in class unprovoked by you know, we're not there and she speaks up and she says, practice makes progress. I love that. Like, like, right. She's, it's already ingrained in her brain. Yes. And so I'm just like, God, like, how, if I could have started there, like, right. <laughs> you know, so it just makes me excited, but I love that you shared that part about, right. And not, it's not mistakes like, oh, you know, I, I forgot. Yeah. That's not the, the kind of mistake we're right. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you do it too often and your partner is about to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those aren't usually the mistakes we, we lose sleep over. We lose sleep over the ones where we've hurt somebody or where we just feel really ashamed because, you know, we're being called out for something. And that is, that's a painful experience and one that we need to sit with, but also it is an opportunity not to beat ourselves up, but then to say, okay, how can I really learn from this situation and really acknowledge that I made a mistake, maybe apologize. Like apologizing is like one of the most vulnerable things we can do, right? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Anyway, I so value your time and I just really want to thank you for having this conversation with me today. This was really, really amazing. I feel like we could just go on to talk about so many different things. Any plans to write any more kids books at this point? No. Well, thank you so much for your time as well. No plans as of yet are in the works. 
but I'd love to, I'd, I'd actually love to consider writing an actual, like, this is a book, this is, but, you know, not geared specifically towards kids and yeah. kind of open it up to a larger audience on this topic. I connected with a reacher at, he's in Canada. He's, he's on a department of psychology, but he's written a couple books on boredom and is really studying it. So I've kind of had some back and forth conversations with him, but this, this topic just keeps coming up. And again, like, I'm so thankful that that you found interest and this conversation is wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you, Kyle. I, I love this. I love to talk about interesting topics and boredom to me, ironically is like a really interesting topic. And I'm really enamored with this book and I'm, I'm going to link to it in my show notes so people can go buy it for themselves and for, for kids. And I do think that this idea of boredom and monotony and even solitude and perfection versus you know, being somebody who feels clouded by mistakes, like these are all issues that as creative people, we confront on a daily basis. And I just think they're so important to talk about, like not trying to escape them, but trying to like lean into them and, and embrace them and like learn from them. I just think it's uh, it's like been transformative for me to like look at all of these things that I grew up having negative feelings about being gifts, you know? And that's what this book is really about. It's like boredom is a gift. So thank you for that. Um, you're welcome. I'm so glad that you got all that out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> really what it's, I mean, absolutely. It is changing that narrative. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Editing of this podcast by the amazing Gabe Garber. Thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone. <laughs>